All right, well, good morning, Salem. It's great to, uh, great to worship with you guys this morning. I had a, just a couple of moments in those songs, and so, uh, yeah, just excited this morning. Here's, here's my heart, here's our heart together as we just allow uh, God to speak what is true this morning. So how many of you guys are readers, like to read? Hands. How many of you guys like movies? Other hand. Cool, cool. Some of you, just what do you do with your time? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I like both. I like reading. I like movies. Uh, there was a time uh, in my life uh, where I uh, was not a reader. So when I was in high school, uh, we took a family vacation uh, to Branson, Missouri. <laughs> it was not, not a great family. Probably our lowest family vacation moments, and to this day we speak of it, uh, or maybe we shouldn't speak of it, but it was just, we were in a really hard time as kids. I was in high school, and I was kind of in a weird, tough phase, and, and I remember in this trip, um, I discovered reading because I just didn't want to be around anybody, and so I found the book The Hobbit uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien, and, uh, and so here's what I did. I, I went into the bathroom of our hotel, and, and I took a pillow and a blanket, and I camped out hours on end in the bathtub. That's all I did was read The Hobbit. <laughs> I, I read so late that I slept in the bathtub. Like, I was just like, I didn't want to be around anybody. It was not a good trip. <laughs> um, and so here I was reading and reading and reading this book, right? And by the time, I mean, I just plowed through this book. And, and by the time, I was getting close to the end. And like we do with, with books or with movies, we wonder, how is this book, how is this story going to end? Right? Like, how, how is it going to finish? How is this going to wrap up? And that's where we're at this morning in the story of Jonah. We're in Jonah uh, chapter 4, these, these last verses uh, in, in chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to, to open up. We're going to be in verses uh, 5 through uh, 11. So it's, it's a great question, though. Like, how is this book going to end? Because if you remember uh, on our map, right, we have chapter 1 through 3. And we really, uh, you, you end 3 on a high note. This is the fairy tale ending. Right? This is where like, everybody should be happy. Everything is good. And yet we find that there's actually a next chapter. There's a chapter four. And what we find is Jonah is just, he's, he's not. Everybody should be happy and Jonah is not. So let me just read these first verses. This is not on the slides, but I'll just read this so, so we can remind ourselves of the context. Verse one, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting in disaster. We saw this last week. It's bizarre. Why would he, why would he attribute this to bad, to evil? And he says, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then God ends this with a great question. He's engaging Jonah. And what does he say? He says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well? Do you do good? To, is this bringing good into the world? This is God's question for Jonah. Okay, this is where we pick up then in verse 
5, after God asks this very good, powerful, intrinsic, loving question, engaging Jonah, in verse 5 it says, Jonah went out of the city. (laughs) He goes out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. Okay, so, so God says, hey, do you do well to be angry? Silence from Jonah. This is, this is the silent treatment, right? This, this happens. This is, this is what he's doing. This is crazy. We saw last week that, that Jonah, this is going to be Jonah's character, right? Is that God says, I have this, this big question for you, and, and here's what I want, and all these things. And Jonah has the audacity, and, and the sinfulness of his heart is that he steps to the side. So he goes outside of the city, and he pouts. But now, it's not just that he's pouting. It's like God is engaging him in intentional conversation. He's like, it's not just, if this is the way that you're going to do it, I'm not going to play. It's, uh, I'm not going to talk to you. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to engage in you. I'm not going to engage in conversation with you. And this is where we're at. This is Jonah revealing his heart. It's, it's, it's somewhat comical and yet very painful for us because we all know that we do this in life. We do. He's sitting on the east side of the city of Nineveh. So why the east side? Presumably, he, he was coming from the west to the east, you know, from, uh, from Israel, modern day or whatever Israel then, all the way through from west to east through, through Nineveh. And so he probably just came out on the east side. And what does he do? He, he creates a booth or makes a booth, um, which is really just another way of saying that he creates um, kind of a little like makeshift shelter. And there's probably not a lot there for him to use. And so he probably just kind of grabs rocks and like uh, maybe like branches from bushes and, and he sets up and makes this crude uh, little shelter. And he does this, why? Well, A, because the sun is tremendously powerful. It's just, it's a very dry, hot climate. And so if you're outside for too long, and there's lots of different storms that can kind of happen in that culture, in that area, um, and so he, he needs protection from the shade. That's the first thing. But it's more than that, right? It's not just that he builds the shelter for shade, but look at this, he does. It says he sat under it in the shade, so here he is in his comfort. But here's the, the next piece. It says, till or until he should see what would become of the city, right? So Jonah, here's, what, here's what's happening in Jonah's life, in his heart, is he's still not convinced that God is not going to bring judgment. Like, he is devoted to his craft, if anything, right? He is so, he's super, super uh, devoted to this. How many of you guys, I mean, we talk about movies. How many of you guys like Marvel movies? It's probably really easy. Wow, less than I expected. Um, Marvel movies are, are interesting in this is because at the end of each Marvel movie, so like the credits like begin rolling and you would think that the movie is done, right? The movie is over, everything is done. But if you watch through the credits, you will find this little like, like sneak peek into how this story is going to continue because they have, they have all these stories lined up. And so if you're a fan and you want to know like how does this story fit into the, to the larger scheme of stories, you watch through the credits. And then if you watch through even to that one, if you watch to the very end of the credits, there's, there's even usually another one. There's two sneak peeks. And it's like Jonah is like setting up a movie theater. 
This is what Jonah's doing. He's like setting up a movie theater, and the, the story, it seems, for all practical purposes, has concluded. Right? Everybody has, like, the whole city is repenting. And, like, this is, like, the happy ending. And he's, like, the story continues through the credits because here he is. He's watching, and he's hoping that in some way, shape, or form, when everybody else would have normally left the movie already, that he's going to catch that little glimpse of a, of a comet. <whistles> and taking out his enemies. That's what he wants. That's what he's hoping for. He desires it, and so here he is, like he's waiting for this. And by the way, this is not like a two and a half hour, three hour movie. Like that's how long a movie takes for us. This, do you remember the prophecy, right? When Jonah enters in, he says, yet in how many days? Forty. Forty days, Nineveh will be overthrown. How many days does it take to walk through it? Three. So Jonah is preparing himself to sit for a month and a half in this crude little shelter, waiting for God's judgment to finally come. It's pretty crazy. So this isn't just a movie theater. This is the Jonah Hotel. Occupancy one. You don't want to be there. If you want to watch movies, you eat skit, like, like beetles for Skittles. This is like the movie that you're watching. It's gross. But this is where he is. He's in this crude, crude place, right? And we go, gosh, this is not where we would want to be. And yet we know that for many times, this is what we do. We camp out inside of these situations. We camp out of situations and we're just waiting. We're waiting for God to show up in the way that we want him to. Do it, do it, do it, just do it, do it. I'm waiting, I'm ready, just do it. Right, and this is, what, this is where we find Jonah. And so if you ever have somebody in your life, remember Jonah's giving God, like Yahweh, the silent treatment, okay? So if you ever have somebody who's giving you the silent treatment in your life, how, do you, how would you respond? How, how do you respond to somebody that's giving you the silent treatment? Do you, just, do you, do you uh, play the game backwards and go, cool, if you're not going to talk, I'm not going to talk. Silent treatment, both sides. Or... Do you, do you push on them? Hey, do you, did you hear me? Are you sure? I, I, I'm talking, and when I'm talking, I, I see your eyes kind of rolling a bit, right? And so I, I feel like you hear me. Is this what we do? Is this how we engage people when they're giving, like, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? But what does God do? What does Yahweh do in this moment? How does he engage Jonah? Right? Check this out in verse 6. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. And you're like, wait, so this is how God re-enters back into the story. Jonah is frustrated and exceedingly angry and giving God the silent treatment, and God just like, cool, here's some shade. Enjoy. Enjoy the nice shade that I give you. By the way, the word appointed is the same word as back in chapter 1 when there's the fish. God appointed a fish to what? To swallow Jonah, which is the act of redemption, right? He's down in, in the pits and he, he uses this Jonah or uses the, the fish to bring him out of this place, to save him, to rescue him. And here the word says, right, he appointed a plant, to what? To save 
Jonah, right? There's this more of this rescued language. It's redemptive in its work, right? This saving language. He appoints a plant made it come up over him that it might shade his head to save him from his discomfort, right? So, so here's the deal. Okay, so we're going to come back over here. Come back to our board for a second. So if you remember, uh, this is the way the story starts. We have the great city over here, right? The Gadol is the Hebrew word, the great city. And then we come over to chapter 4, right? And the author is using these words, the Gadol, the great, and the exceeding are the same words uh, in Hebrew. And so what we find is that now this entire city is now repenting and Jonah is exceedingly angry. He's exceedingly angry angry. But what happens is that God provides, this is crazy, right? He provides this little plant to grow up. And we don't know what kind of a plant it is, but in some way, shape, or form, it provides shade for Jonah. And it's almost like we're recreating this potential scenario over here when Jonah is thrown up onto the island. And so he gets shade, and it's in this space now that Jonah, this box increases over here, and Jonah is actually exceedingly, that same word, he's exceedingly happy. This is Jonah now. He's exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly happy. This is, this is the first time that Jonah has been happy in the entire book. Did you get that? Did you realize that? It's the first time he's been happy in the entire book, right? And why is that a big deal? Because it's about a plant, right? This is humorous. The author's inviting us in the story and going, look at, look at the ridiculous nature of Jonah's heart. This is who he is. This is, how, this is how we operate. Look how quickly Jonah clings to the plant. We find out later that it goes up in one day and it disappears in a day. And Jonah is really, really quick to engage into the comfort that this plant provides. That's really what it is. It's all about this comfort. And God in this moment says, I, I, like, I, I want to pull you out of this. Remember it says that God came to save him from his discomfort. The word, in, the word for discomfort in Hebrew is actually the word ra, which is evil. And so it's like God is saying, gosh, Jonah, there are some deep, painful things that are going on connected to your sinful nature, right? And I want to help you, and I want to pull you. I want to keep creating these redemptive situations, these redemptive conversations where I'm trying to pull you and woo you out of this bitter and terrible, terrible place, right? And so what Jonah does is that he exposes his heart in this. He's like, a, he's, like he's on a teeter-totter. When I was little, I used to, like, like really little, um, I used to love teeter-totters. By the way, do those, like, still even exist? Like, are teeter-totters still a thing? Like, I don't... I don't know. I don't drive by and see them anymore. But when I was little, um, I used to I, I used to have a love hate relationship. This is super bizarre. Okay, um, I had a love hate relationship with teeter totters because I loved when I got to go up, but I hated when I get when I come down. Like I would be like woohoo, woohoo, right? It's silly, right? There's something about the pushing and, the, and like, it's like almost like you're flying and then you're coming back to the ground and then you got to use your, your legs and push back up and it's like, ah, now it's my turn and woohoo. Ah. And this is Jonah. He's up and down on a teeter-totter. 
He's just up and down. And this is what God has to work with. Is Jonah just up and down, up and down. He's unstable, right, in his preferences. Because remember, his preferences at the very beginning of the book were different. And now his preferences have changed because his circumstances have changed. And so he's like, great, whatever, great, whatever you can give me, right? Uh, he's like, this story, this story may not be going the way that I want it to, but at least, at least I have some shade. It's really nice. At least, I'm, at least I'm comfortable. At least I have some shade. He finally gets to this place of comfort. And so God's first tactic in this moment is what? So he, his first tactic was to, to talk to him and ask him, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Silent treatment, no response. So what does he do? He, he, next tactic, he says, well, maybe I can grow up this plant. And maybe this, this redemptive act, providing shade for him, maybe this will begin to pull him out of it, right? Maybe this will be it. And what God is doing is that he's, he's kind of opening up the, the veil of Jonah's heart. And he's looking and, and diving deep into, into the, the deep, dark recesses of our hearts. And he's looking for this one little bright spot where he and Jonah can actually agree on something. Where they can have a real, important, actual dialogue about what is, what is good and what is right in this world. And it turns out, it's actually going to revolve around this plant. <laughs> Right? This is how God finally gets a hold of Jonah's heart. Because Jonah is exceedingly happy. He's so excited. He's elated. He's beside himself. He's so, so, so happy. And so what is God going to do? He's going to use this moment as a teaching illustration, as a teaching point to help Jonah understand where God is coming from. So what does he do? Uh, check this out. Uh, in verse 7. So that when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, that's the same word as the fish. So God appoints this big, massive, huge fish to swallow Jonah. And then later on in the story, he appoints this teeny tiny worm who scooch, 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 just, just enters into the story rather slowly, right? And what does he do? Right, that God appointed the worm, and that worm attacked the plant so that it withered. And so all of a sudden, the plant is gone, and God is going to have something in a moment here to really talk about with Jonah. But it continues, right, in verse 8. Right, because the, the plant exists for really one purpose, right, to provide shade in a hot, 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 like sunny environment. But then, once this plant is gone and the sun rose, it said that God appointed, same word, again, same appointment, same word, God appointed a scorching east wind, and it beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Now, remember that Jonah is, is in his little makeshift hotel, on the east side of the city. What else is further east? Really nothing. It's just like a desert. And so he doesn't have the building to protect him. So wherever he is, if he was on the north side or the south side or the west side, the wind would have come from that direction, right? Because now he no longer has this building to protect him. And so this wind, this comes in. Uh, and in, this, in their culture, in their, in their, actually in their geography, um, there was these storms, like, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's like Scaraco or something, but it's like this wind that's so intense and it's full of all these ions that can actually produce like just like super weariness, faint-headedness, all these types of things. And so com in combination with this wind and the sun, it's just beating down on Jodah. It's beating down 
on Jonah. It's attacking Jonah. And that word for attacking in the Hebrew is actually like the idea of smiting. Like God is bringing. So God attacked, had the worm attack the plant, but now all of a sudden it's like the sun and this wind are actually attacking Jonah. They're attacking Jonah. And it's, it's like the author is inviting us into this space, in this moment where he's saying, like, I need for us as readers, as listeners, to be careful. There's a warning in here. Because what he's, what he's hinting at is, right, is that Jonah, Jonah has more concern for the plant than he does for people. Right? People are made in the image of God. Plants are not Right? They are not made in the image of God, and yet people are. And Jonah is revealing the hard-heartedness of his, of his sinful nature. And what God is, is saying is like, gosh, we've got to be careful. Because there's a warning here. When we start to care for the things of this world over people, over people who are made in the image of God, all of a sudden that judgment can shift quickly back on us. And we become the people who are ultimately in the wrong. And yet this is part of God's conversation with Jonah. It's, it's redemptive, but it's redemptive in a different way. He's making a point. He's, trying, he's using hard things to help Jonah understand God's own heart. Right? Because remember, you have these three kind of characters in the story. You have, you have Yahweh, who's creator God, right? eternal, divine, perfect, infinite being. And then you have Jonah, uh, who is the representation or the symbol for God's chosen people. And then you have the world. And so the story reveals that God's intrinsic, powerful, deep love actually extends to both of these groups of people. And so, so what we found back in chapters 2 and 3 is that really is that we at the bottom, at the very base, are just like every single other person in this world. No matter what they've done, no matter what I haven't done, my depth, my sin, my depravity is just the same. Right? And God says, I have this powerful love for both of you. Right? But then the question becomes, what happens when we are asked by Yahweh to engage, to, to, to take that love in which he loves us and to, to move that into the world, right? To move it into the world. And God is reminding him, it was like, Jonah, this story, this story is about my plan. It's about how I want to use you in a world that is broken and filled with people who, by the way, you are just like. Right? That's what God is ultimately doing in this space. And what Jonah's response in this, too, he responds to God, and what does he say? He actually says, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for who? For me to die than to live. It's better for me. This is Jonah's perspective. Is it better for the world? No, Jonah, this is not better for the world. But he says, it's better for me, better for me, for me, for me, if I die rather than I would live. And so this is where God re-enters back into the story again. He re-intervenes, and he's going to ask Jonah a, a question in verse 9. He says, but God said to Jonah, and this is like the same thing as before. He says, do you do well to be angry? 
But it's not just angry. He doesn't just leave it there. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Because here's, here's what God is doing. He's finally found the one thing that he and Jonah can engage in real, intimate, personal conversation around. And it's about this plant. It's about this plant. Do you do well to be angry about the plant? And what's Jonah's response? He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay, so we come back to, um, we come back to our board here uh, again, right? And what we find, right, what started with the Gadol city, the great city, um, then became his great displeasure, which then, like, became unstable, right? And he changed, and now he's greatly happy. But now, right, this all changes again, and we find this final, like, expansion, this bigger box, Right? It just grows. His displeasure, his anger, his discomfort, everything about him just grows and grows. And it's like this whole thing begins to expand out of control. And God is going, gosh, okay, we're really getting to the heart of it now, aren't we? We're really getting to the heart of it. We have this, this phrase in our home, and it's the phrase, big emotions, because when you have toddlers, and all toddlers, I think, experience this phase, is that they go through big emotions. And it's okay to express big emotions, right? It really is. But, like with Eden, like it's crazy. Um, like we live in a world, a technological world, right? So everything, even though we try to protect it as much as possible, like she craves screens. Right? She wants it all the time, right? And so when she doesn't have it, what is she? She's unhappy, She's very exceedingly unhappy. But when she gets it, what is she? She's exceedingly happy, right? It expands, it grows, and all of a sudden she's incredible. And then you say, Eden, it's time to turn it off. And then, and then she turns it off. And guess what? Big emotions. Exceedingly, exceedingly unhappy. And it's like it just grows and grows. And we go, That's, that makes sense. That's normal. Maybe technology is something we can all relate to. But with Eden, it's not always just the standard normal things. Like, she loves baths. She wants baths. And if she's, not, if she's not in the bathtub, she's angry. When she gets in the bathtub, she's exceedingly happy until she finds a single hair. And then she's exceedingly unhappy. To mama, mama, dada, there's hair, dirt, dirt. What just happened? <laughs> you, were, you were happy a second ago. Dirty things come off in the bathtub. That's just how it works. It's your own hair. Yeah. Right? This is, the way that, this is the way that we are as people. Right? This is who we are. We have these big emotions in life. And Jonah, by the way, only really wants to talk to God when his comfort is at stake. Do you notice that in the story? He really only talks to God when his comfort is at stake. And that's you and me, right? Like we talk to God when our preferences are challenged. We talk to him when our comfort is challenged and changed. And we want our plan and our things and all of these things to move forward. And that's who Joan is. And right, we go, even though it's a different form, we go, it's still not okay, right? It's still not okay. It's still wrong. Like we are on, in the wrong. 
And for Jonah, like, our story may not be drastic like Jonah, who says, I want to, to die. Now, for us, we would go, gosh, that's, that's, that's extreme. We don't, we don't want that. But there is this reality that we're not just talking about literal death. We're talking about the figurative death. Like, when God's plan enters into life, sometimes that means the death, or at least what feels like the death of our preferences, Right? Like you just move into a new, like, like new house and dad gets another job. And you have to leave the school that you love, the community that you love. Right? It feels like death. It's hard. Right? You get a new job, it's better, but you're going to miss your old community. It's different. It's hard. It feels like death. It just happens over and over and over in our lives. Maybe it's like a small group. You're part of a small group. And you go, gosh, we know that we should multiply. But if we multiply, guess what? We're going to separate from the comfort of our old group. And that's far. That's hard. It feels like death over and over and over. Right? Maybe you're a kid uh, at school and, and Praise Jesus in your final days of school, right? It's coming to an end, but here you go. Maybe that cafeteria over there um, is where you're comfortable, and that's where you like to sit, like that table. But maybe that one (laughs) is the one where people really need you, and it feels like death giving up the one table for the sake of the other, for the people that are at that table. You see, here's the deal. Is that whenever God does something, whenever God is, enters into a story and brings his purposes, whenever he brings change, here's what he's doing. He's always leading us into grief. And here's why. Because we have to grieve. Before we can ever, ever experience the joy of something new, guess what? We have to grieve the loss of the other. That's what happens in Jonah's story. And it happens in our story all of the time. And so this is where the story comes to dramatic end in verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. And the Lord said, you, because remember, this is all about like, like God finding the, the deep little area where he and Jonah can have a real intentional conversation. And it's going to be about this plant, okay? So this is a great question. God says, you pity the plant By the way, for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You had nothing to do with this plant, right? You didn't even plant it. It's not like you started your hotel and then like took a seed out of your pocket like Jack the Magic Beanstalk and then like, whoo, there it is. You have nothing to contribute in this. And look how attached, look how much concern, look how much compassion, that's the word pity, how much compassion you had over this plant. Verse 11 This is where God reciprocates, but should I, if that is legitimate, let's assume for a moment that that's legitimate. If it is, isn't it also legitimate that I might have pity or compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The end. (laughs) End of story. All done. (laughs) What happens? This is how the story ends? With a question? If the point of the story, let me say this, if the point of the story was for us to know what Jonah would do, then guess what? It would tell us. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is actually to draw us as readers in and to say this, if you were there, what would you do? That's the point of the story. 
That's the point of what the author, that's what the spirit wants us. And this big overarching question is this question, how will I engage God's word in God's world? And that's the title of the series. Because that's how the book ends. How will I take God's word, what he says is ultimately true about my heart and the world, and how will I use that and enter into the world that is fully broken? Um, and you know, maybe you guys, some of you guys have heard of this person. It's a gal named Katie Nolan, uh, who, who used to be on ESPN, and, um, and maybe she still is, but she uh, would find uh, people uh, who would tweet, major fans about college football, uh, who would be... Um, fairly mean or less than nice to people who had missed field goal kicks during games. And so what she would do is she'd find people who would tweet about kickers missing field goals and she paid, they paid for them to come, this all expense paid trip to come there and then what they do is they get there and they come in their athletic clothing and she'd say, hey, do you know why you're here? <laughs> and they'd say, well, no, I really don't. And she said, do you like college football? Yeah, I do. Do you ever tweet about college football? Yeah. I do. Do you remember this one? <laughs> and then they would read the card in, to, to, in front of everybody, and it would say something like, I can't believe he missed that 45-yarder. I could have made that in my sleep. I could have made that kick. And so then they usually laughed because they know that they're just up a creek. And so she says, she looks at him, and she says, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. And so she puts him in front of a football, with a field goal post, and they record it. And I tell you, if you want to cry in a good way, <laughs> go watch it. Because these guys, one guy just over and over goes, well, I actually played Division Three football, so, and I had some friends that were kickers, so I think I'll do, I think I'll do all right. I'll do all right. <laughs> Every single person gets up, shank, shank, only one was straight, and it never went more than three feet off of the ground, <laughs> right? Here's the reality, is that when we look at the story, and we go, what would you do? We oftentimes would say, well, I wouldn't be like Jonah. <laughs> I would make the kick. I would make it. I would totally make it. I wouldn't mess up in the way that Jonah did, right? That's just the way that we are. Like, we tend to think this, and yet we know that that's not true. By the way, uh, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament is oftentimes linked in the New Testament to the story of the prodigal son. Because the first two chapters of Jonah are all about what? Running. Taking whatever I can in life and living in the freedom and the luxury of my sin. And the second chapters, the chapters three and four of Jonah are what? The older brother. Judgment. 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 Anger. 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 I can't believe that my father would be this way. Right? This is the story that we're in. By the way, just as a reminder, keeping that Old Testament, New Testament connection, Jonah was angry enough to die, and Jesus was compassionate enough to die. Right, that's the story, right? Jesus attaches himself into this story when he talked about being in the belly of the fish for three days, right? He says Jonah was the anti-hero. I am the hero of the story. Jonah, I am everything that Jonah was supposed to be. I am the fulfillment of this story, right? So you have Jonah, and then you have Jesus, and then we fall somewhere in between, probably closer to Jonah, if we're honest. And so let's just get very practical right now, right here. How many of you, show of hands, have someone in your life who just frustrates you? 
who's just really, really, come on. <laughs> Does this, we, we, can, we love each other. Unless the person's like sitting next to you right now, maybe that's where like, no, I'm not raising my hand. No, no, not doing it. We all have people that frustrate us, that annoy us, that we have this tendency, that we look at these people, we have this tendency to reduce the complexity of their humanity into these tiny little minuscule things. And we think about their behaviors, their choices, the way they look, the way they dress, the way they smell. Whatever it is, we have this way of of recapturing them and, and placing them as an enemy. And what the story of Jonah is helping us understand is it's not, he's like deconstructing the idea of the enemy. Because it's not just political kingdom, like threats that are our enemies. It's the people that we put into those places. The people who have wronged us and hurt us and, and who, are, who are like we're angry at. We, we all of a sudden find ourselves on opposing sides. And what we've essentially done is we've created enemies. We've created enemies in this place. And when we do that, we miss the fact that we are down here in the same way as they are. And I think this is super powerful. And just remember this. Oftentimes in life, when you get a window into the soul or into the heart of your enemy, more often than not, it's actually a mirror of your own heart. That's really challenging and powerful because we are the same. Our stories are different, but at our core, we have selfishness and pride and brokenness. And we need God's grace just as much as every single person in the world. And so we remember this, like the characters, God, Jonah, and the world. And God, Yahweh, has intrinsic, powerful love for both of these people. And we go, we have to ask this question, am I okay with the fact that God says, I love your enemies? Are we okay with that? And maybe it takes us a while to wrestle with it and go, yeah, okay, I guess I am finally okay with it. But when God says, by the way, I want you to love your enemies, we go, I'm out. <laughs> can't do it. It's not me. I can't do it. And so we come back to this question of just how will you respond? That's how the story ends. That's how the story ends. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and then I'm going to... Finish with just a couple of quick questions. Um, and this overarching question uh, is this, this very first big kind of question is just that. How will you engage God's word in God's world? It's a big, it's a big question. This is, this is, this is a represent, I mean, this is what, who God is. This is what he tells us about who he is and the way that he wants to work in the world. This is his story, right? And Jonah's a part of that story. And we're a part of Jonah. How will you engage God's word in God's world. And I want to give you just these three last final questions to kind of sum up, I think, maybe the series of Jonah as we just wrap up the series. First one, what might Yahweh be telling me that I am unwilling to hear? That's a challenging question. It's a tough, it's a tough question. What might Yahweh be telling me that I'm unwilling to hear? Here's the next piece of that. You want to go take it to the next level. Here's the next one. This is hard. This is where it gets into real intentional, authentic community. Would you ask someone that you trust that same question? (laughs) Where might you see me putting my preferences over God's purposes? Invite someone in and allow them to see, help you see your blind spots. That's tough. Very hard. And the last one is this, in light of where we're at, 
geographically, and the idea of community outreach, the idea of making an impact in the world. What if that impact was right here? What if our thumbprint, gospel thumbprint through Salem started right here? So let's start praying together that God would make an impact in the community right next to church. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, as we wrap up this morning, as we wrap up this series, I'm sure that it's evident that there's a lot of things that are going on in our hearts. And so, Lord, if there's anything that we've talked about over these last weeks that just needs to fall to the ground, that would just fall through the cracks, may, may it do that, and would your grace just cover it. But if there's anything that is bubbling up to the top, if there's anything that the Spirit is nudging inside of us, I pray that we would lean Lean into that. And would you allow us as individuals and as a community to experience, right, to go deeper into the brokenness of our lives that we would become greater recipients of your grace. That we would, that we would just sense and feel the extravagant nature of your love. And that may we look with full compassion over the world that we live in with extravagant grace and mercy and love. May we be instruments of the very thing that you've given us to steward. And as we sing this final song, Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded how marvelous your love for us, how great, enduring, and amazing is your love for everyone. Amen.